Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this right away. Um, I was a guy at some point who did enjoy a few drinks on an aircraft. I uh, used to do it because I was in, uh, terribly scared of crashing. And I was one of those people who knew just enough about aeroplanes or airplanes or aircrafts. So I would kind of be a little jolted or a little startled by certain noises or certain dips in altitude or certain um, motions as a result of turbulence. So I wasn't well informed enough to say, you know what, that's exactly what's supposed to happen or the plane is designed to handle that or this is what you expect when you travel over certain parts during certain times of the year. So I kind of had just enough information to freak the fuck out, but not enough to be uh, sensible about deciphering the inputs the aircraft would give me. I mean, I'm not a trained pilot. I'm not an aeronautics engineer. So I'm just one of those guys who reads online. And basically like all of you, I read enough. So I'm not an innocent or ig- not innocent, ignorant fuck. Because I get really annoyed when I get all sort of, oh, God, it's going to crash. The person next to me is eating like aloo paratha and stuffing their face with food. So especially the international flights, of course, Indian flights, they can't allow alcohol. And now we all know why. But the international flights, I used to have a few, just um, a couple uh, before dinner, eat and sleep. And I never used to mix it with pills and none of that shit. But um, now I know why... Uh, There are different rules, especially for Indians, and there are different rules for the rest of the world. And because wherever we go, we end up having these horror stories and we end up scarring the locals. Uh, A country like Thailand, terrified of Indians. Like, you might say, no, not not my kind of Indian. Oh, they're fucking scared of all of us. Because of these kind of people, they go steal stuff from the room, they break the wash basin and nick that going, well, why not? I paid for it. It's that sense of entitlement that I've paid for it, therefore I deserve to take it all. And yeah, we, we pretty much have unleashed one point, not, not maybe all travel, but even 10%, 130 million odd people we've unleashed to the world and we have fucking traumatized people. And this incident, of course, you know what I'm referring to. It's that lady, um, septuagenarian, 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 what is wrong with me? Octogenarian, so septuagenarian, or a 70-year-old fucking lady. Can't I just say that? Why do I have to use big words when not required? But I wanted to because I don't septuagenarian. Yeah. Well, let's create the scenario, right? Um, because, of course, our media does a horrible job of reporting facts which they're supposed to do as opposed to making it sound like a fucking crime scene investigation on HBO or whichever fucking show that the channel that show appears on. Gosh, the music. Gosh, the language. Gosh, that guy, the correspondent, couldn't even fucking string a sentence together in English. Why the hell are you speaking that language then, man? You're on news. You're on. You're broadcasting to people who are trying to get facts from your face and you can't fucking string a sentence, then change the language or don't fucking be in the job. Sorry, a little bit of a vent over there. Now, this lady... Yeah, she's in business class, right? Of course. Now, a lot of us aspire to be in business class because that's where we think the most amazing and the most hassle-free and the most comfortable experience will be. Well, that's what we think. 
will be uh, something for us to enjoy on a long-haul flight. Maybe New York to Delhi, maybe New York to Bangalore, wherever the flight was taking her from to, she wanted to be comfortable. She may be leaving her kids and coming back home to spend a few months before she went back there again to take care of the grandkids. As, of course, most people who leave India and go abroad to follow the American dream, they're like, yes, I will go there, make it as an average person in suburban America, just be white. That's my aspirations. I will have three SUVs, exactly, because they don't get the V's right. They get everything right. They get the package. They get the salary. They get the dream house, but they can't get the difference between a V and a fucking W. And they end up buying a VW, which is ironic because that's one car where you need to get your V's and your W's distinguished. Now, they probably got like a nice seven-seater SUV. The kids go to soccer games. The mom's a soccer mom. This guy sits on Sundays watching football. He's got barbecue with his buddies. He goes for baseball games with his son. He's got the perfect cookie-cutter fucking life. Now, what they going to do over there, they going to enjoy because in a few months when kids are born, they're going to call out Mama Mama from India. Come over, bring some chili pickle, bring over all the snacky-nackies and come for six months in this god for fucking second place and leave the friends and the network you have back home because you got to take care of the grandkids ma you got to take care of the grandkids because we follow the american dream we've got the green baby we got the green and we gotta make everyone know that we got the green because back home we aren't just indian but the indians who went abroad and came back and we are earning in dollars we work in id we work in tech we work in silicon valley with a w and of course, they got the green, they made the money, they got the credit cards, they got the points, they got to save up and travel business class. And they're going to send mama back in business class because that's how they assuage their guilt of calling the 70-year-old lady to come and change diapers and not enjoy her retirement in peace in the home, in the environment which she's happy in, with friends and places she can go and socialize. But now stuck in godforsaken suburban New York where they have to wait for you to come back from work so you can take them out in your seven seater SUE with a W made by VW so she can just look forward to that one fucking hour in the day where son and daughter-in-law or daughter and son-in-law come home to take her to fucking Taco Bell or which other place you can mispronounce or in and out or god for sake it's gonna be Red Robin because man you got a voucher with a W in today's news or on Costco.com that's a membership you aspire to get and now what's next the average country club which every other fucking person goes to but hey wait i'm jumping the gun buddy i'm jumping the gun now mama's come taking care of the kids now you got to send her back in business class she's about 70 we call her a septuagenarian which a few minutes back we couldn't pronounce but we got it right now so we put it on a plane mom's like fucking hey i hate my kids and i just can't wait to get some nice sleep maybe a glass of red wine which these kids never offer because they thought i'm an orthodox cunt who only eats curd rice and eats pickle but no i love a love chardonnay a nice vintage with a v because i know my v's and w's boy and she sits back offer her having a glass of wine, maybe a little dabble of some champagne. She's had a nice Hindu vegetarian meal with a side of pork chops. And she's lying down. She's got a bed made and she's got a lady who's even older than her serving her because that's Air India. The airline that makes you feel young because everything, including the pilots, the aircraft, the food and the stewardesses are guaranteed to give you a sense of nostalgia 
a sense of pre-independence. And that's our service and our promise to you. Well, now we've been tucked in and Auntie's gone to sleep and she's just chilling, having dreams of going back to whichever city. It could be the shittiest city in India, but it's still better than the goddamn fucking suburbs in New York, New York, because New York is great. But the shithole that her son has moved to for that dream job at, oh, companies say let's like Wells Fargo is just something that he could not let go of and now he can brag to everyone from his classmates at MES College that he's the shit and he's got t-shirts of I love New York which he's going to bring for them because that's all he thinks that Indians are impressed by and the seven-seater SUV with a W made by VW. Of course, now the flight's taken off and Andy's gone to sleep and she's enjoying her dreams that are induced by the wine and the champagne. And suddenly she has dreams of having a warm, in fact, let's just go to another extreme and say a hot shower. She's enjoying the shower and she's just... Ah, taken away until a sudden jolt when the shower turns cold. Isn't that a feeling that we all hate when the shower turns cold, especially in our dreams? She opened her eyes and she turns out to be a bastard from Wells Fargo pissing all over Auntie. And she is fucking ready to kill someone because she's just done with these cunts. Did I say shoots eyes that spoiled my American accent? She's just done with these boys who think they're the shit, who made the money, who've got the package, who've got the bonus and they've come in a business class and they've got their mothers to come and take care of their kids and they can do anything except brag about how cool America is and how they are American man with a foam finger up their asses and she can't handle it and she is done and the last thing the last straw that broke the camel's back I don't know why I need to say that is a man who represents her everything represents everything that is wrong about the kids who went abroad to impress Indians is standing there in front of her with his dick hanging out, peeing all over her. A golden handshake, you call it? A golden severance? A golden package? In this case, a golden shower for Nani on Air India Business Class because apple juice ain't good enough, buddy. You gotta give it all. Yeah, that's my version of it. And honestly speaking, I think it's 100 times better than NDTV. So, yeah. What you make of it is your own take. That was my take on, uh, well, the story that leaked. Moving on, my guest in today's episode is a very, very fun young man who's uh, making waves in the mobility sector. His name is Shreya Shibulal. He's, well, got a company called Mycelio. I had the good um, opportunity to perform for a conference they organized on clean mobility a few weeks back. And as a result, I realized that that Shreyas is someone I want to talk to. We talk about various things as in the infrastructure, the various forms of clean mobility, because in our head, it's always EVs, it's always electric, solar, hydrogen. But there are so many things that uh, I didn't know that Shreyas told me about. There's so many things that need to be planned for the future. There's so many things besides just batteries. There's so many concerns when it comes to recycle, recycling these these things that we take for granted. It's about where do these, these, these um, materials come from, how responsible are we with the new way of exploring uh, renewable sources of energy and are we repeating the same kind of fossil fuel disaster with uh, renewable and with clean sources of energy as well it's a fantastic conversation with someone who's got a lot of insights and someone whose potential in this space is quite impressive and uh, very candid conversation i haven't used that word before i think on the podcast and more importantly a very fun conversation with a person who's well got a lot to tell you and got a lot 
and had a lot of tell me as well. And um, it's nice because it's the kind of stuff that we need to hear to encourage us to give us some sort of sense of that there may be a better future uh, in a country which seems chaotic and filled with guys who want to piss on old ladies. So, um, Shreyas, if you listen to this, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. And for all of you, you're in store for a fun conversation and a lovely conversation, a very insightful and informative conversation. So, as always, I appreciate you tuning into this podcast. Till the next episode, goodbye, God bless, take care of yourselves. Cheers, and don't piss on anyone older than you. All right. Catch you on the other side. Shreya Shibulal, welcome to the podcast. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, Sandeep. Thank you for having me. It's awesome, man. You know, finally good to talk to someone who's in the same time zone. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> I'm half asleep this morning. I was supposed to do one at seven. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> well, you got me at a good time of year. I happened to be in town. so <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. Thank you again for joining me. And um, okay, let me get a sense of, uh, of where we are today, right? Because uh, you're, you're a Bangalore boy. I'm a Bangalore boy, a uh, decade apart. Uh, around a decade apart, let's not disclose ages on this show. <laughs> but uh, so I see a city and I see it differently for different reasons, whether it's the environment, it's the city that I knew growing up and also it's the city that I live in presently. And yeah. there's so many other things that shape your perception, right? But when you look at Bangalore and say India at large, or you say the world, um, what do you feel as mm. a person uh, when it comes to all the various things, right? With yeah. a level of convenience we've reached, which has never been there before in uh, humanity, a level of polarization, a level of technology, a level of information, and a level of dread when it comes to certain topics like politics or it comes to uh, resources or it comes to warming, right? So I'm just giving yeah. you a large picture. You can, of course, take it to yeah. whatever level you want to. But what do you, what is the sense you get? Let's maybe start locally with um, home and Bangalore. Yeah, you know, for me, um, it's it's been interesting, right? Because uh, yes, while I am from Bangalore, uh, I mean, pretty much from Bangalore, I also, uh, you know, spent a, a good portion of my life in the US. And actually, a lot of that was moving back and forth every, every few years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that you notice, especially when you've been away for, you know, months together, because, you know, when I was growing up, um, we used to come back at least at least once a year, right? right. Um, if if not more. Um, and when that happens, um, you you can't help but to kind of notice progress in in some of these things, right? A lot of and a lot of them involve just day to day conveniences, mm. um, right? Because those are the first things that you notice. Um, you know, I I was you know I was born in the US. I moved I moved here when I was four. Uh, moved back when I was nine, then moved mm. back again to Bangalore when I was around 12, mm. then went there for college, came back right. in 2016. Right. Um, right. And it's change is a single constant, right? Especially yeah. in Bangalore. It's, uh, you know, uh, and 
uh, yes, I mean there are good and bad things. You know, everyone complains about the traffic. Uh, mm. It's gone from bad to worse. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but that almost I mean, feels like people changed. in England complaining about the weather. It's just something to talk oh, yeah. about and not really do Absolutely. anything about it. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it, true. Uh, and you know, Bangalore. Uh, in a in a way, uh, you know. I mean. you know from what i've heard about the early 90s and you know late 80s bangalore as a city was really not planned to be what it is today mm-hmm. um right um but it has become what it is today that's the reality of you know the the world that we live in yeah um and you know these things are sort of a consequence of that i mean mm. yeah and it's it must be interesting because you know i i spent a few years for my undergrad as well in the us and that that time going back and forth was just around sort of the it boom right mm-hmm. uh when sort of the the the, the entire expansion with um, people coming in for work and the whole uh, offshore activity started then yep. and you could see year by year or every six months even um and you would see it in the way you would um, most relate to right like i would see um new places to go out to or you yep. would uh, see one more airline flying to bangalore like new yep. uh, paths opening up with when it comes to connectivity but um when you are uh, talking about living in the us from a young age you have this sense of a much more formative experience being uh, shuttling between two places and you know many times when you meet a person who's spent their at least their till their teens in the us they have the sense of their identity neither here nor there they they call them you know many people refer to them such as the desis or whatever it may be right yeah. the yeah. nri desi what yeah and then you have this other group who goes for their masters and then they kind of just want that americanness uh, yeah. because they, they they kind of adhere to it right like a yeah. um like an obsession because that defines yeah. them that that value system of money and the status and the the monetary and the material thing but you seem to have had a bit of both and uh what did, what did that lead to like did it give you a sense of i need my indianness or i'm going to hold on to my us aspect whatever yeah. it may be uh, what was that like uh, uh, did you have a grounding in both places uh, i think uh, you know I, i think the reality of my life is that ultimately i didn't grow up in bangalore but mm. i will say that my um, my perspective of belonging perhaps did uh change mm. uh probably due to the fact that as you said some of my formative years was in the US and um and and also here as well because you know I was I was also quite young when I was in Bangalore as well um and I think what's that what that resulted in is I wouldn't say an identity crisis I think that's mm. too dramatic a term uh but it has got me thinking a lot about identity especially you know I'm I turned 30 this this year so I think about ah. my 20s was trying to trying to kind of understand that a little bit more uh, but not in any not because I felt pressured to uh, but just because you know I wanted to um and I think I just turned 40 man and I figured out a little bit of it last year so there's you you're in no rush trust me <laughs> yeah um and I think you know the what I kind of uh uh you know the the uh how do i say kind of the what i at least what i feel right now uh in terms of you know identity is that i think i feel a lot more connected to 
you know communities around me mm. uh, uh and you know people that i interact with on a daily basis uh, yeah. more probably more so than any kind of geographical institution as such um, yeah. right i i'm i'm a very nostalgic person i think you know i i place a tremendous amount of importance uh i i wouldn't say it, it probably comes out the wrong way on the on the past in the sense mm-hmm. of, of my past experiences uh, and i'm very drawn to that um and i think i feel a certain amount of commitment and belonging to that and that's an interesting thing right because uh, the reason uh, shreyas i was talking about what i was uh, about kind of having a foot in both places you know the the us uh, environment of whatever it may be convenience it may be a yeah. system of education and then glimpses of bangalore life and the bengaluru transition to um the new way of working the the new kind of investments etc is because it kind of shapes what you also look at a place with right the kind of attachment the kind of uh, and as you mentioned the past the nostalgia but not necessarily from a geographic point of view um so when you kind of look at a place with that sense uh, how did that lead you to where you are today let's say with mm. um the decisions you've taken with uh the spaces you are entering because i would i do want to talk about the, the way you also kind of had this uh, other thing to navigate or rather the, the other sort of environment you were given to grow within but let's just talk about this initial um just the the, the, the traveling part and this the sense of what you want to do with uh what you studied and apply it in this context yeah so i think uh you know for me um i'm not really sure when in my life i i decided that i you know the entrepreneurial journey is is for me um mm. but i i do remember that from a very young age i was always very fascinated with mobility uh mm. you know it, it may be that kind of inner you know inner 9 year old boy that kind of never lost the fascination with automobiles and everything that moves yeah um and you know i was always uh you know quite naturally inclined towards technology um you know uh for for some reason i think i was just always very fascinated uh by technology and you know computer science was uh something that i enjoyed um and then i later you know went on to to a degree in in the medical systems um and i think when i you know i started my kind of entrepreneurial journey i uh I did take a lot of notes from what uh you know other members of my family are, are already doing and kind of aspects of that that I uh find appealing to myself mm. um and I did really you know I was really drawn to this you know this idea of uh doing something having a sustainability aspect as well and you know in some way or form kind of doing uh you know business for good uh, for lack of a better word yeah. um right so you know and you know this was 2016 2017 uh, you know a lot of policies were being pushed on clean mobility in the country uh, so it was really right place right time uh, right level of interest as well that kind of led me to 
take this path in clean, clean mobility probably mm. now because the entire conversation of course has really been focused now with tesla on the market and everyone talking about electric cars right yeah. it's a very uh, single minded conversation and um it almost feels like a um, it's it's almost like a box that's ticked right you've done your bit for the world if you buy an electric car and mm. um, it, it just seems like the company's like you know what we re- release an electric model we're good people which clearly yeah. is more um, is more padding <laughs> on the back than required right yeah and it's much but, more complex than that yeah so can yeah. you describe the nature of first of all um the mobility situation right because we call it transport we call it cars we call it automobiles we call it so many things but many of it is a very traditional in fact maybe even a very dated way of looking at mobility it may be looking at the road infrastructure it may be looking at the way we connect um flight corridors whatever it may be so when you approach mobility and say you want to approach it from a clean point of view where do you start um where, where does the the entire focus begin um for um the future of mobility see i think um if you look at the traditional mobility uh kind of sector the companies that have been established uh, the technology that has been established which is which is internal combustion which has been around for more than 100 years now mm. uh they so that technology has been that ecosystem for that technology has been established in the last 100 years um, yeah. right so that goes uh, you know it's it's suppliers it's manufacturers it's uh, a market consumers infrastructure all of that has been built in the last more than 100 years yeah the clean mobility transition is attempting to do all in a sense almost kind of break down and recreate all that in a matter of just a few decades yeah um right so you know my first realization and really where i started was the real you know the realization that there needs to be something that need, we need to do something for the ecosystem in general mm. um, right and the first step to that is understanding where we are in the ecosystem what is the state of the ecosystem is something that we kind of need to understand and then the next step is what can we do to catalyze that Uh, got it um, right so you know you know we have uh, you know misselio has a venture capital arm we also have the, like a maker space arm and a validation arm but we we kind of we did take a lot of time to actually take a first step because a lot of that time from you know from when we announced to say when we made our first event investment or when we started engaging with the uh, with the ecosystem it it did take uh, you know almost 9 months or so and the reason for that is because we were having so many conversations about and just trying to get a sense of you know what is the state of the ecosystem as uh, you know as a whole mm. uh, so if you ask me where do you start that is where you start because um, you know this so much like like many things uh, like many industries there's so much more that goes behind the scenes um, right like you, you you can go to a dealership and buy a car today yeah uh, but there's there's such a vast network of different organizations and individuals involved in actually getting that to you and on the road yeah 
And a lot of it, like when we uh, saw the semiconductor issue, everyone just like uh, was spouting that again, right? Oh, semiconductor. I, do had, I don't think anyone had a clue what a semiconductor and how that fit in a car was, but everyone was talking yeah. about it. And the supply chains, of course, now uh, are set across geographies. And many of them um, are, as you said, established for years. So when something like a, the pandemic hit and systems were shut down, it yeah. sh clearly showed like a breakdown in the supply chain, right? Right, right. Um, but when you're working with something new where there is um, absolutely no pressure to succeed, or rather when the, sta the, the odds are stacked against you in some way going, yeah, you know what, let them try. It's cute. The effort is cute, right? Uh, that these... these um, the, these clean solutions and everyone's like, yeah, it's not going to work because there's too much of a lobby when it comes to fossil fuels or uh, when it comes to everything involved in the, 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 in the surrounding structure of it, right? So when you are facing a problem which is quite vast at the same time, quite intricate in its nature, which is breaking down old ways of thinking, breaking down old systems, but at the same time, you have this marvel of technology being introduced in ways which it never was, um, it must be quite fascinating, right, to work in this space right now. I mean, yes. I mean, you know, it, it is it is fascinating because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of kind of from scratch work happening, uh, mm. right? In the sense that you you really have to, you know, uh, you you really have to start from scratch and build something. And I, actually, that is probably why there's been such. Because ultimately, I think that is what most entrepreneurs look for, right? They want to build something from the grounds up, uh, yeah. right? And I think that is why clean mobility, in particular, has been attracting a lot more entrepreneurial spirit in the last in the last couple of years, right? Because you mm -hmm. have that opportunity to actually start from scratch, um, which is, um, I'm sure, there are a few other industries, emerging industries now that gives you the same opportunity, but there aren't that many. Mm. Um, right. So it is, uh, and you know, you, you said about, you know, the, the odds being stacked against me and lobbyists and all that. Um, I think, uh, that definitely was the mindset, at least, uh, you know, I, I remember when, you know, when, uh, I was first kind of embarking on this and trying to figure out what to do. I definitely had a conversation, few conversations with people being like, you know, this is not, this is never going to happen. Um, yeah. Right. Um, but you know, we, uh, but it, it seems like that mindset has, has changed, uh, almost completely, at least with regard to India, because, you know, I feel like all stakeholders have kind of turned around, uh, right. Yeah. Even, I mean, it's not just the startup community anymore who's driving this, but even, um, the larger established OEMs, um, have kind of have decided to take charge as well um right and and you know government unanimously almost as you know has basically decreed that this is the way forward right and yeah. battery electric is one part of it they're also looking at hydrogen so it, you know it, it is changing it is definitely different than what it was um, you know 2016 17 yeah you know because i think it's almost um when i said vast what i meant is you when people especially now are being told about startups and unicorns and all these big words again like catchphrases it's it's a very um it's a very short term uh, idea that they are sold right that you turn around and you you, you hear these stories of millionaires and billionaires but uh, when you approach something like this it is a way which is going to 
shape a lot of what not us maybe but people who are 30 years younger than us will take for granted as a way of life so mm. uh, when you kind of embark on planning for this because you mentioned right we we spoke about bangalore and uh, we spoke about how it wasn't a city that was built for this scope of growth and development but clearly yep. it happened the development right. was thrown at bangalore and bangalore uh, not as an, not as a person but as a place being governed in the mindset that it was couldn't handle it um mm. it just sort of fell apart at the seams right. um, so when you prepare for something like this of course it's not all on your head but you are a, a contributor at this point and a large yep. one at that uh, what is the mindset that you kind of employ like um do you think of things that don't exist and make sense right now in today's context like if you said it to someone today they'd be like are you crazy man that can't happen or do you pander to today hoping that it will um evolve with t- time so you know that's an in so that's that's a, that's an interesting question because um see i with everything that i'm i'm doing i don't i i kind of avoid that uh, categorizing us as uh, an ev company i've yeah. always been kind of very particular that we're a clean mobility company mm. um right and what that means is that today you know the from whatever is available to us today battery electric seems probably much cleaner than you know internal combustion uh, mm. but that is by no means uh, saying that it is clean yeah um, right and if we don't look at the mistakes that we made in the past uh, and try to do something about it with this new technology uh, you know it's very likely that we could end up in probably not the exact the exact same crisis but maybe a similar crisis um, yeah. right and one example of that is uh, what do we do about battery recycling yeah right uh, how do we avoid having stockpiles of uh, dead potentially toxic batteries yeah um, you know just lying around um and uh, so that is something that's definitely on my radar uh, right in terms of you know how do we how do we account for this issue i think it should be on everyone's radar at least in this industry um and i think it has the potential to become you know a fairly uh, large business sector as it is which is just second life for batteries yeah so you 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 take as many learnings as you can from the past um right but you know i i wouldn't claim that you know battery electric uh, vehicles what people today generally categorize as electric vehicles are uh necessarily completely clean they are clean now yeah 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 and that's something that we deceive ourselves with right when um yeah. there's an urgent need to look better than your dinner partner <laughs> uh you know at the table going oh yeah. no no I, yeah. I, i drive a plug-in hybrid yours is just yeah. a plug-in or something right <laughs> right right right, and, right. Uh, no but i i find that fascinating because with everything right like it's like you want to demonize someone uh yeah. and clearly now it's the the V8 and the V12 manufacturers and the, yeah. the gas guzzlers and <laughs> yeah. but there's clearly a social um attachment to transport if you want to call mm. it an attachment or a, 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 a sign of where you are um yeah. you know because clearly now and I joke about this but 
a lot of people who lived in the US or the UK had this idea of oh, going green and they come back here and cycling. But the reality is that for many an Indian, that is the only way of transport and it has yeah. nothing to do with green, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they really are just like, that's the only thing I can afford. And, you know, screw yeah. you for making me feel like I'm... Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but clearly, like, we still have people talking like now, oh, I can't travel business class. It's just the prices of the pandemic are crazy or... Um, and, and all of that, whether it's what car you're seen in. And now, of course, I remember many years back reading an article or watching something where people said every actor showed up to the Oscars in a, in a Toyota Prius because that year mm. that was the, the greenest car on the market. So mm. clearly there was a lot of virtue signaling happening. Um, so there is a lot of, and, and as you said, you know, you as a young boy, I, 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 even though for the past 30 years couldn't see, I still was so attached to reading up the stats on a 911 Porsche Carrera or whatever it may be, right. because it was the man thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, hearing like on Sunday mornings, we were in Bangalore, you hear these guys revving their Ferraris and getting stuck on a speed breaker. It's glorious, right? Mm. <laughs> but how do you take that into consideration? Because you're not thinking of only EVs, right? You're not thinking of the Tesla Roadster or the coolest yeah. next option, but you're yeah. thinking of mobility. So you mm. also have a lot of freedom there to make the new kind of mobility, not be it a four-wheeler, a three-wheeler, or a two-wheeler, but what, okay, maybe what are our options as we stand today talking with the present technology, with the present infrastructure? What are the mobility options we have? See, I think, uh, and I'll probably just talk about the Indian context, right? Because yeah. I think it's, it's probably uh, has a little bit less awareness than even, you know, like the, the Western context, which is you know, predominantly just four wheelers um, and a few two wheelers, but not that many. Mm. Uh, you know, seventy percent of the vehicle on vehicles on the road today are two and three wheelers, um, right? Uh, yeah. And that accounts for probably uh, you know this is probably two thousand eighteen, two thousand seventeen statistics, but it accounted for maybe um, two thirds of the crude oil imports, right? That that we as country have, right? That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's so, it's, uh, so that so that's that's kind of the level of consumption, right? So, you know, I uh, four wheeler penetration, uh, you know, it's still relatively low. I wouldn't say it's uh, I wouldn't say it's very low. I mean, obviously, it's a large country. We have many vehicles on the road. We have a lot of four wheelers as well. Yeah, uh, it is growing. Um, right. So, you asked about kind of the the options that we have with the current technology right yeah. see i think one thing is that you know people see first of all uh you know this whole thing about range anxiety people need to understand that i mean i'm not trying to preach but like yeah. you know it's you know 80 percent of the 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 trips that you know that people take in india are less than 10 kilometers mm. in right? distance and speed <laughs> <laughs> Well, depends on which city, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, but you know, it's you know, eighty percent is less than ten kilometers. So then, yeah. uh, but you know, let's put that statistic aside, right? Even if mm. you're talking about a two and three wheeler, uh, you know, it's it's quite rare that you know you go for. Uh, I mean, yes, enthusiasts with their with their bikes like to go on long trips, but that's actually addressing a very small portion of the of the market, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, in a sense the limitations that we have, the so-called range anxiety with uh, the current battery technology that we have works in quite well with uh, 
two and three wheelers because you know the use case is is as such right and uh you know four wheelers is uh, i think uh, you know there's there's a school of thought that you know it should be kind of left to the larger more established players because they have the resources and also they have the ability to kind of do wait for the long long haul right because yeah. four wheeler penetration in this country is going to take take some more time right it, yeah. it is directly correlated with uh, the spending power of of the country right and that it yeah. will take some time to develop it will also take some time for it, it's both right one is you know people are able to spend more over a certain period of time but also vehicles uh, the technology is also going to become cheaper you know over mm. you know over a certain amount of time so i think you know my view is that you know over the next decade or so is when we can really start seeing four wheeler penetration go up um but you know these are all vehicles that we talked about with with license plates there are plenty of other form factors which also kind of fall under the the clean mobility gambit uh, you know pedal assisted bikes uh, which is just really for for hyper local uh, any vehicle that's below sub, you know 25 kph um, also hyper local uh, there are also um, you know there are also a few companies that are working on sort of uh, more rural and uh, rural india uh, solutions uh, mm-hmm. so this these are basically uh, completely replacing what would normally be pedal cargo yeah right you know you're more than 100 kilo 200 kilo kind of loads pet, which were previously just pedal right mm-hmm. um, and kind of making that pedal assisted or just completely just electric as well so um if you were to ask me those are kind of the options that we as a country should probably look at that is a scope there's been a lot more uh, discussion around what we do for uh first mile and intercity right mm. um and those problems in my view are much more difficult to solve because the penetration mm. for those technologies and the development of those technologies at least in india uh has has not completely matured yet you know there's a lot of people talking about hydrogen uh, mm. you know that has uh, you know its own challenges with regard to infrastructure and also green hydrogen production yeah um, right making that affordable um, and the infrastructure itself is you know is such a is such a massive kind of undertaking mm. uh, and, and and there's also a misconception with with battery electrics and saying that you know we anyways have an energy grid so then you know putting up chargers shouldn't be an issue but the reality is that the energy grid also in the in you know in the country also needs an overhaul in order to actually may see that transition to battery electric right mm. um and uh, i think you had also i mean one other point that you one of the interesting point that you made was that um you know vehicles as um a status symbol mm. um or kind of as a tool to kind of show the world that you're you're green um right mm. uh, you know my view is that um it's you know as as a company that's kind of invested in the space and who's who has a vested interest in kind of in, in ensuring that more consumers adopt towards clean mobility it's unrealistic to assume that everyone wants to be a uh, an eco warrior 
yeah right uh, because um, i i don't i don't think that's a realistic assumption to make for for multiple reasons but yeah. it it is also just the reality right so it's unrealistic to say that okay you know people are going to adopt evs because they want to save the planet mm. i think realistically speaking the percentage of people who actually would do that uh, is is probably quite small yeah. um right so i would say people should adopt evs uh, I, well the strategy that one should embark on is that people should adopt your product because it actually adds value to their life in in some mm. way or form right mm. part of that is uh is 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 a status symbol right mm. um which has nothing to do with being green but just having a vehicle that you're proud of right yeah. and which is desirable yeah um so that is definitely part of a strategy to adoption of clean mobility making desirable vehicles yeah. companies like tesla have done that uh, you know immensely well mm. uh, that obviously we have few examples in india as well um but i think that is going to be a key thing you know like it's desirability and also utility i think if you can get those things um uh, i think then we would have cracked the crack the the uh, the consumption part of this yeah no i think that's absolutely important right because there is this human need to feel like they fit in or they yeah. are celebrated for something that they do and uh, you know i i was talking to a guest on one of the other episodes i you might have come across his work um, harish hande he runs the selco foundation and we were talking about a similar concept of how do you approach a problem right and they are working in the solar energy space and the reason i bring him up is because he mentioned an interesting way of looking at this he said we have this idea of a road network a, an urban landscape and we try to uh, work a solution with um addressing certain symptoms of the larger problem right be it improving the surface of the roads building flyovers making the 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 neighborhoods more green or having whatever windmills in the backyard kind of thing but if you reverse the the way of looking at it and say why are we even thinking of cities in this way why are people commuting from say jp nagar to yalahanka for work and let's look at the problem of making it micro cities or micro areas where working and living uh from work are closer or um the need to travel is for like right now you can use whatever service out there and send you know your 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 boxers from bangalore to hyderabad for no good reason just because because you can right but yeah. what do we actually need um, and this sort of i want to tie it into this idea of mobility is why do we need to go right even with the idea mm-hmm. of holidays uh, an airline will say hey you have frequent flyer miles which are expiring in the next week you need to get it or bus tickets at 1 rupee you should go there so there is almost this need uh being driven home into people's ideas during festivals they have to travel or they have to um go visit their family or they have to go to bangalore for work or they have to go to new york for a business meeting this idea of travel uh, and this sort of extends from what i just told, what we spoke about earlier about social status right is the idea of being um all constantly on the go is 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 also attributed to some sense of success uh and mm. i find that quite curious i mean i want to just hear your take on that Well uh, that's an interesting one and I I don't think I've thought about that aspect too much. I mean my first thought is that um 
movement of goods is never something that you can can you can do away with yeah right you can say yeah, you know you, so uh this has nothing to do with goods logistics per se yeah. right it yeah. has to do with uh, people moving around from point a to point b and why um why that is required um you know it's it's a tough one uh, because you know if you if you take different examples i mean if you just take why do you need to go to office yeah each organization is going to have their different philosophy as to why you should or you shouldn't work from home right mm. it's hot debate these days right yeah, so yeah. it's a hybrid uh, and, and, and and yeah and both are uh, both both are maybe i mean you know both have good points uh, right uh, so it's it's difficult to answer that one you know why do you uh why do you need to go across town why do you need to live in like you know and, and work somewhere you know that's far away uh you know can some of these problems be solved with good urban planning um i, I don't know because you know the other thing with well my observation of zoning even if you look at kind of zoned cities um Uh, or cities that have been very properly and meticulously zoned is that there's always a residential area and then there's a commercial area um right and they they kind of divided up like that i'm by no means an urban planning expert mm. um but i'm sure there's good reason for it right and it probably has something to do with um creating an environment which is suitable for for human living right in a way that you you have your residential area which is residential right and then you you go into town to do shopping or you go into town to to work right yeah uh, and maybe people enjoy that level of segregation in their life mm. in terms of keeping these things separate um this is a thought i don't know i'm i'm no, kind I, of, i i mean it got yeah. me thinking and the reason yeah. i as i said it's not really a question it's sort of where where you kind of see this coming from because I also think it's an extension of a sense of what we've been told as aspirational, right? Um mm. to get a better way of life like you said, you know, you went to the US, I went there for a shorter period, yeah. but I did go there because someone said you do your undergrad in the US, your world horizon will just open and they say also yeah. some nonsense things like that, right? <laughs> um <laughs> and uh they I mean it's, it's beautiful that some of this this stuff they've told you like oh you go to England and that's it you're you're you don't know looking back. I mean <laughs> yeah 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 and yeah. um likewise someone might have a similar person telling them similar things or if you go to Bangalore and study there or a job say we know friends who've traveled who live in New York for a certain job or maybe they're on Wall Street for the best financial job or they may be in Singapore for some job so i'm just i'm just trying to think out loud that we are told that to work at company a like a yeah. like a tech giant um you do anything it takes to be a part of that company so it means yeah. lift you know up up and about uh from lift you know picking up shop and just going to the ends of the planet and then coming back every year for on a six month boat trip to visit yeah. your family do it because it means you're working at that company yeah. so I, i'm thinking maybe it's something to do also with the way we are um recognized by our peers or by families or by whoever it may be um as a result this whole layout has formed right because people are traveling for better jobs and better mm-hmm. jobs means certain places that offer those better jobs and once you get to those better jobs it means um you have to sacrifice a lot 
but also you have to live up to a lot more. Yeah. So I'm just thinking if we create a value system where you tell people, you know what, um, even going forward, let's just paint a picture with the limited um, resources we have with the rising temperatures saying, you know what, um, there's a credit system you get, right? Uh, that, that if you travel, there should be a real reason that you're traveling. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it doesn't matter if that job, say, gives you $100,000. Uh, yeah. But if you travel, say, 10,000 miles to take it, you lose $50,000 because you are um, violating some sort of credit system yeah. that uh, is yeah. bad to the planet. But mm. I'm just building a kind of a, you know, <laughs> it could be a fantasy movie, but let's let's just yeah. go with it for a moment. Um, but if you stay here, it's starting, like starting to sound like the Hunger Games. But yeah, yeah, that was good. That was a good book. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. If you don't if you don't take the job, you have to eat your brother. No, that's. <laughs> that's an, <laughs> but I'm saying something simpler. Say, let's not go for the ultimate job, but let's go for something that's cleaner. Uh, mm. By that I mean it's closer. You kind of contribute to your community, that community could be of varying sizes. But um, do, 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 do you see kind of where I'm going with this? this I, I see, yeah, I, yeah. See, I see where you're going. And I think my thought is that, uh, you, you know, I think there is a, I mean, part of it is, yes, you said, you know, there's, uh, there's expectations from your peers and people are, or maybe you're, you're, you know, you want to show your your peers that you know you you've achieved a certain status and you're able to travel and um, and all that. But also, I think there is, uh, you know, uh, an innate human desire to actually live the statement, which is the world is your oyster, right? Yeah, it's very difficult to reverse that in in my view, right? Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to kind of take that back and and. I think as a civilization also, you know, it's, uh, people are very hesitant. I mean, it's like, how many things can you, can you state? I mean, how many, how many, like, I, I feel like out of all the things that you want to do, how many things can you not do today because of the time that we live in, that you used mm -hmm. to be able to do before? I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like in my view, uh, there wouldn't be that many number of things so then if you were to tell me that you know 10 years from now i wouldn't be able to i wouldn't be able to travel or it would just become infeasible mm, i think there would be yeah. a certain level of sadness associated associated with that yeah because this is where the idea came from right i was just i mean right. I, I sort of uh, reading about the people in england now who are facing a lot of hardship when of course that's re again relative but uh, because of the energy crisis and prices going up, a lot of people who earlier would say, you know, I'll go to the Canary Islands or I'll go yeah. wherever every summer or I'll go for four or five weeks, are now really rethinking it. And in fact, something is even going out for a meal for dinner is being limited because their gas bills are going up or whatnot, right? Yeah. yeah. So if that is the situation and it's just that you can't travel because there is no money in the house. Um, yeah, and and resources also. I think and resources it's exactly. Just, yeah, it's not just the money. Yeah, it's the money yeah. for you, but it's also the fact that it is just genuinely expensive to fly a plane in this in the sky, right? Um, yeah. You know, fuel, whatever it may be. So then, can we? Because we in India are set sitting. Of course, people will probably get very upset for me saying this, but we still are far away from calling ourselves entirely developed. We made huge leaps and bounds in certain areas, but just by virtue of having so much more to do aren't we also at the cusp of undoing and say you know what screw the conventional way of building an infrastructural system comparable to america or a 
a network of grids that is this. Why don't we just challenge the thing and say, let's do what works for India? Personally, I think there is. Um, well, okay. I think, you know, as, as I mean, okay, I can only talk about my industry. Right? Yeah, I think of course. In this, in this industry, I think there has been a realization that, you know, India needs, uh, very specific solutions for very specific problems because, you know, as a country, we are, you know, and, and the, as this clean mobility transition as a problem that we're dealing with, it is different from the West. What works in the West will not work here. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, can that be applied? I mean, you know, can it be feasibly applied to, you know, every industry and every, uh, you know, all the things that we're doing to develop as a nation. Um, I, I don't know, uh, right? Because it, it, you know, it also makes you wonder without certain invent- interventions in, in kind of the history of India, where, what would the country look like today mm-hmm. is also something that you would, uh, you'd ask yourself, right? So, uh, I, I don't, I don't, and also, you know, there's, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, India will become a developed country by year so and so, right? Yeah. What I think, what that, I mean, obviously, a developed country is a, basically a list of statistics, right? Yeah. That's basically what it is, right? If you meet it, uh, then you're a developed country, uh, mm-hmm. right? So maybe you're right in the sense that we should be asking, what is, are those statistics relevant? Yeah. Um, what is it? Or how many of those? Yeah. How yeah. many of those are you know relevant? Um, and also, what will it actually look like? Right. Okay. Say we even meet those statistics. Yeah. Uh, I can think of so many developed countries which are nothing alike. Yeah. Right. You know, they're just completely different. Um, right. In terms of just as a person just walking around visiting, they they are they are different. Right. Yeah. They're both developed countries. They both met those quote-unquote statistics which make yeah. you a developed country but they are different yeah you know it's 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 nice that we are able to be in a position to say you know what is actually development mean um, yeah. having malls having international schools and yeah. having uh, you know porsche ferrari dealers doesn't make you a developed city you know uh, yeah. because it might be the case in dubai uh, but in Bangalore or in Delhi or in Mysore or wherever it may be in India, yeah. we have such a large pressure of people. Yeah. Now, by Indian standards, maybe getting clean water, getting a roof over the heads of everyone and getting good food, nutritious food is a huge development, more than saying getting an infrastructure or a highway system that you know rivals the likes of the interstate system in the US, right? right. It, it's really different. But... Um, how much of um, anyways? I, before I get to the next point, I was just thinking uh, this is an idea maybe you can uh, adopt is a really good source. I think of energy in 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 our country present day is harnessing it from all these people who go for these ten k's because they seem to be doing it every day. I think <laughs> <laughs> just put a hashtag; they'll keep running. <laughs> just a thought for your next brainstorming in your company. <laughs> but yeah, I keep going after the ten k's. I don't know. It just they keep. Um, they keep bothering me and I keep bothering them. So it's good. Um, <laughs> so, okay, let's let's uh, get back to this idea of um, the, the economics of it, right? When you um, say, I'm talking to my driver and he's like, oh, I want to buy the new electric scooter that's out there. And 
again, he's like, oh, but I have to go take a loan, get into it and have to sell. Yeah. So there is this whole um, aspiration thing of getting the next cool electric scooter in a, in, in, in the yeah. popular, let's keep the cities because I don't know much about rural India yeah. and also what, um, f- you know, fairly, I don't make any unfair judgments or unfair, um, you know, um, kind of b- belief systems about what, what things are there. But like in Bangalore, which I, where I live, uh, people do want to get the electric scooter that's cheaper because they're, they're like, you know what, I, I charge it on my mobile charger and it's cool. I put my phone in, I put my bike in and I'm good to go. And yeah. um, we also have a lot more delivery services. And so so the thing is, economically, how do you um, cater to a system that is so diverse when it comes to, we have people who can barely afford um, say kerosene to light their stove and then we have people who are able to import cars at 300% import duty right so uh, w- w- when you're looking at that what's the kind of um, things that you, you you kind of encourage because you're not entirely just building um, clean mobile options but you're also creating an ecosystem for other uh, startups other people to, um, uh, who are um, who want to be no pun intended, but driven in this space uh, to, to kind of come up with ideas, right? So, so what what is the the thing when you are sitting wearing that cap on? Uh, what do you yeah. look for, um, or rather, what do you um, what, what do you? Sorry for going on about the question, but what are you inspired by? Or what do you what what motivates you when you hear mm-hmm. ideas like this? See, I think uh, yeah, maybe I'll I'll talk a little bit more in terms of the context of you know, the uh, investments that we make out of our venture capital arm, right? Um, Spectrums of the, or two opposite ends of the market, right? Which is, uh, you know, those who can import cars and, uh, and, you know, those who cannot even afford kerosene, right? And um, you can, you, it is possible to have a sustainable, I mean, business model and run a business catering to one or the other or, or both markets or mm-hmm. I mean probably one or the other right I mean you you probably need if you're a company you probably and you want to cater to both you probably need two different business models right yeah um, but and one you know if if you to just look at kind of the ultra premium kind of market segment you're talking about probably it's, it's it, I mean economically it's it's low volume, high margin, right? That's the only way that you can make make it work, mm-hmm. um, right? Uh, and that also means limitations in terms of how much you can scale, mm-hmm. uh, right? But that being said, you know, you, you'd probably still be able to uh, make, uh, make, you know, more than ends meet. You can probably make a profit, you know, that is all true. I don't know if you'll be able to scale unless you, you go global and there are definitely investors and entrepreneurs that do make uh, those kinds of business models work and that is their bread and butter. I've definitely seen that. Mm. Um, and then if you look at the other end, it is um, high volume, low margin. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, and I think uh, I would say a lot of the, and, and that is probably, you know, and, and those companies can scale because the market is that big. Yeah. Um, right. Um, and if you're looking at, uh, you, you know, as as an investor, as uh, as an institutional investor, uh, 
probably you know my thesis is a little bit more drawn to those those kinds of companies um, simply because from a you know investment standpoint it you know, the multiples and everything make a lot more sense yeah. uh, with those companies and probably a company where the market itself because you know you have to uh, you, it, how you look at it is basically or you know just to this may be an oversimplification but mm. you look at the the size of the market in dollar terms and then you assume that you can capture reasonably speaking you can maybe capture 10% of that mm. right and that will probably determine some kind of a valuation right mm. and if you look at both you know the the latter which is kind of a little bit more mass market uh makes a little bit more sense but i don't believe that the same business model can be applied to both uh because the needs of those two uh sets of consumers are are vastly different mm. right no because it is as you said it it's it's a vast set of uh combinations to cater to right yeah. you can have someone who wants to start out with this but there's also like oh i want to get the bigger bike next and so you need to have a product that's more expensive so yeah, yeah. it's it's a fun kind of uh thing to place to be i think and okay i want to i want to talk to you about um where you are right now in life because honestly man when i was 30 years old i was sleeping off hangovers and i really didn't have any of these <laughs> ideas or thoughts so <laughs> i still am hey come on but uh, fewer the guy it takes me a year to recover from a hangover now but um what sort of gave you because you mentioned of course about growing up and but how much of this um need to solve a societal um i wouldn't say a problem but addressed address a society and how it might look in a few years and in fact more than a few years in, in case with clean mobility especially dealing with politicians the word clean burns them i heard anyhow um <laughs> in 2025 years you, you're looking at something beyond just today or just enhancing an existing idea um so how much of that um way of thinking uh, was influenced by your circumstances and also the people in your life um See, I think you know. For me, uh, uh, you know, my my family um, and the people who have surrounded me are, uh, you know, tremendous uh, source of inspiration for for me, um, mm. right? And kind of setting the example for what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. In in my life, I, I kind of did take uh, bits and pieces of. kind of what i saw around me uh you know uh, we are almost a, a family of, of entrepreneurs slash philanthropists uh, yeah. today right um of course i was you know i was born into uh, extremely fortunate circumstances uh, uh and uh, you know a circumstances of like of, of extreme privilege um i think you know <clears throat> for me uh, it was and i think this is it is an innate human desire to do something that is uh, meaningful and i think mm. uh, i can't speak for everyone but i really wanted to be part of something that was bigger than myself mm. um right and from that context you know i i did not want to be a quote unquote serial entrepreneur right i i wanted to commit myself to something that yeah. will really be there in the in the long run right and mm-hmm. i i wanted to be part of 
that journey mm. um and because of that there are a lot of things that we do quite differently from you know uh, perhaps our other contemporaries uh, today um, yeah. right who are who are also in the industry i i think we are quite different um, from that perspective um but but i think yeah i mean if if you ask me yes i mean my uh you know my parents have been uh, heavily involved in philanthropy i think and even kind of the business uh, the the industries that we're involved in as a family office there's mm-hmm. always a kind of a, a social responsibility angle um as well so i think yes i mean i think i have been uh, tremendously influenced by by them and my circumstances you know what i find interesting about your uh, like your, your your situation is there's automatically and i mentioned this up top in our conversation about a, a pre- preconceived notions from <laughs> people who don't know you right yeah it's your family name it's obviously what um your dad is known for and your, your sister's an entrepreneur as you mentioned as well and your parents are philanthropists so there is a certain story that already comes with your family name um yeah. and as a result people are like oh you know what we already know about them we read about them in the hindu you know we know about them. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's always the hindu uh, yeah. it's, it's it that makes these statements i mean nothing yeah. i have no issue with the paper but it's, it's a joke uh, hindu editor was reading listening to this right now but um it's 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 a bit of a burden right to kind of um explain yourself if that's for lack of a better term that this is who i am because a lot of times there is a story that precedes you and you mm. kind of have to almost get to a certain point and say hey wait a second guys i'm it's not i wouldn't say starting on the back foot but you have to almost say can i explain myself if you don't mind <laughs> you know to kind of break uh, this 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 idea of what they think of you as opposed to what you really are and to kind of follow up with that there is obviously uh you know that you 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 do follow in the footsteps of your father or maybe your sister and that along with that comes this idea that on a personal front internally that you have to do something because oh i'm not assuming that you did feel like that but i'm asking you was there ever this pressure to kind of carve a niche for yourself and be known for who you are as opposed to as your father's son or your sister's brother anything mm. like that I think uh I'll, I'll answer both questions because they're, they're both quite distinct and I think yeah. the first one is you know I I don't think I ever really felt uh, that much of a compulsion to uh to explain myself right mm-hmm. in the sense that you know I think you're right it's it's a very peculiar uh reality of my life that people expect a certain thing um and a lot of the time they were surprised to to find that it's something else uh, entirely right yeah um and uh, you know I, i i wouldn't i wouldn't call it out as a negative uh, mm. but it has just been kind of uh, a fact of, of of my life right um so you know building relationships with people and you know people getting to know me um i it was never something that was unnatural being like you know i had to i had to show people who i am right mm. it was just something that kind of just naturally happened over time and also for me to get used to the fact that okay you know 
to expect the preconceived notions and then not to deal with them but just uh to see them go away over time right with the people that i used to interact with very frequently mm. um and the second question was you know about being in uh you know my uh my family shadow you know the many entrepreneurs there um i you know to be very honest i you know they the fact that i have you know <clears throat> you know my wife is not for my sister my brother in law my Mm-hmm. my dad my my mom's uh you know a full time philanthropist mm-hmm. um you know i yeah first of all i think there's there's a certain amount of pride that you know being associated with them yeah um and i do think they're a big source of uh strength and guidance for me right mm-hmm. um and if you ask me was there ever an innate need for me to to kind of declare the, to the world that you know I, i am this i am my own person i have the, you know i but you know to be very frank i i don't think i ever i i, I don't think i ever gave that that much importance right i right. um i i mean i love what i do right uh, i uh, i understand that uh and and my view on kind of publicity and recognition is that ultimately it's only going to further my work right if it's not yeah. going to further my work then there's no point in doing it yeah um right so that's the only kind of recognition and and publicity that that I would ever want um yeah. uh and you know anything else that's a consequence of that um is is great uh but it's not something that i am really that focused on nice i mean did, was there ever a time you just like you know what you guys do all the work i think you're doing great job doing a great <laughs> job i'm going to sit back and just go backpacking or play some video games i think that that's perfectly <laughs> acceptable man <laughs> i think uh, you know i uh, you know i i have i i have my days right in the yeah. sense that you know it's uh, as and i think any entrepreneur would 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 have their days being like man like this is uh, too much and like you know, for me yes definitely coming uh, you know the you know coming from a place of privilege that i i i completely under- and that's why i have so much respect and admiration for um you know other entrepreneurs that come out of that that uh come from different circumstances for me is that yeah, and is is that in one sense like yes that there is some degree of relatability but in the other way you know they they you know they put their entire uh, life savings as their yeah. financial stability on the line yeah. right um and for me uh that is that is not the case i mean you know if uh, i i try my best to you know uh to make whatever i do succeed uh but if it doesn't um it it's it's not going to affect my livelihood um right and i completely acknowledge that and i i you know that's that's why i respect so much the the community of entrepreneurs that we have here but yeah. that also means that i have a responsibility to take that additional risk and also commit myself further because i think at the end of the day um i think all of us as human beings have to balance 
what we do for ourselves, what we do for our loved ones, and what we do for for society. And I think uh, coming from the circumstances that I have, I think uh, you know I have to balance those sides differently, maybe. Um, right. So yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely important to recognize, right? Because you might, uh, and that's that's where I was coming from, because someone might look at two entrepreneurs and say, of course, Reyes had it easy, do you see his backing? But what they don't understand is that the kind of expectation or the kind of uh, circumstance, it determines its own narrative for your story, which you are putting in place. And as a result, you w- might not have so much to lose, or you might have a safety net that the other entrepreneur might not have, but it's a story uniquely yours, and you decide to go that much further than the person or for whatever reason it may be and i think that's so important to recognize and that's what i respect man because as i said you know everyone has good days and bad days and everyone has their own situation and circumstance that they they're approaching uh, life with but you know i salute um, the work you do and the kind of passion you do it with and the, the sort of the need to create a better tomorrow and uh, I'd, I'd love to, you know, for the people out there, see a version of Need for Speed Clean Mobility sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> for those of us in the generation who came from NFS. Oh, yeah, I, I, I could barely awesome. play. They banned me from the game. I think the, I think the, uh, the company who, the company who made it because I, I mean, come on, you can't see and you're playing our game and you kept crashing the car. I used to go in the wrong way. So clearly. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, it's been a pleasure, Shreyas, having you on the podcast and uh, thanks for sharing your insights, your vision, and um, your ideas for a better city and a better world. Likewise, uh, Sandeep, thank you so much for having me. I think it was a great chat. And uh, thank you. Thanks again. It's been fun. And I hope to see you here on the podcast when you're 40. You know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm a gray old man <laughs> in my clean mobility wheelchair. <laughs> or whatever format of media that's popular by then oh yeah so, maybe Neuralink. Yeah. who knows yeah right? Right, knows? exactly yeah yeah <laughs> anyway man all the best uh good luck Thanks and uh, what should i say keep it clean i suppose yeah. i guess so yeah yes <laughs> bye hey thank you so much for listening to this episode If you liked what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.